What did I say? I didn't hear. About God, God having emotions is it means there's chemical. Right. So you mentioned he mentioned this in one of our classes yeah, in Anton's yeah. class. Yeah. Can you go elaborate, please, on that? Just explain. No, yeah, emotions are physical, of course. Explain. No, I mean the. I'm not sure how much more I can elaborate beyond that, but except to say that the. A per, we know that emotion is something which is physiologically based. It's chemicals in your body that cause your brain to have certain, uh, you know, responses and so on. And your nervous system is involved in the production of emotion. Either it's a fear, anger, uh, happiness. It's all connected to uh, your body. That's why when someone like, would so, have like, certain type of brain damage, it can affect them. Right, exactly. Like uh, the famous uh, Phineas Gage is the famous guy that he got a spike through his head. Did you ever, uh, are you familiar with that? Phineas Gage, you never learned about it. Yeah, he's a famous case because he got a spike through his, like basically there was an accident and he got like a spike go, went right through his head, but he survived. But his personality completely changed after that. He became like ornery and nasty and all that. And before he had been very magnanimous and pleasant, right? So the brain, or sometimes people will get in accidents and they will, their personalities will change, meaning their, their ofi changes. Like their, their, like, uh, their, like their, the quality of their, uh, of their emotional makeup can change and also we can affect it by chemicals. I mean, you can give a person medicine who's feeling very down and they'll feel better or they can start to feel very happy or very sad from, from feeling uh, happy. But the, so the fact that you can manipulate it uh, biologically and physically, it shows you that it's, it has a biological basis. And it's not an idea, meaning it's your bodily response to certain phenomena, internal, internal or external, um, generating these endorphins or whatever it is, you know, however exactly the system works and the, the nervous system and the and uh, and and uh, the chemicals within your uh, within your brain that affect how you experience certain things. An idea could generate an emotional response, or an you know a, a an observation could generate an emotional response, but the emotional response is physiological, and that's why it could be affected by medicine and other substances and things like that. Now, so the thing is that that I use that example because a person won't always realize, let's say that, oh, to say that God has an emotion is to say that God is physical. They don't make that connection. They don't take that step. They don't take that step. And so therefore they may be feeling that these two ideas can coexist. God can be spiritual. Of course, God is not physical, but mainly because they read it in authoritative texts that it says, which is fine. That's, that's where they get it from an authoritative text. 54. And then... The sure is a 54. Oh, it's a 54. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I Thank you. Sorry interrupting. <laughs> so, the... They know, but they don't see that as being a contradiction to the idea that there's a... Uh, that God has an emotion because they don't understand, let's see, how the emotions... Uh, relate to the body. So in the same way, a person could say, well, of course I don't, I believe that God is whatever they believe, you know, whatever you're supposed to believe and you'd give only karim. But I also think that when I read the, I speed read, you know, a hundred pages of tefillah, it's meaningful. They don't draw the implication from, well, what would that really mean about God if that's a meaningful tefillah? Right? They, they don't think about it that, oh, I'm basically making the tefillah into an incantation 
that I, that I imagine influences God or my relationship with God. They don't make that step. So that's why I wouldn't say that they're idolaters because like they just don't make, they don't make the inferences necessary. If they made the inferences necessary, it would be worse. <laughs> Meaning if they said, well, if magical incantations actually are of value, that means God is something other than what he is. So then you would already uh, so be... Being... Individually, they might come to that conclusion. Which one of the two conclusions? That is like, no, but so you're saying... I've had this conversation. So you're saying that me just saying Tehillim is not, is not worth anything. How, how dare you? It's like, no, but if you understand the Tehillim and it makes a difference in your life, then yeah, it can be a very powerful tool. No, but me just sitting there and saying Tehillim is, not, is nothing you're saying? Like, People have to see things in a very black and white way. <laughs> Our truth. Well, I, you know, if the alternative is uh, watching TV, then it's probably uh, better. <laughs> is it? Depends what you're watching. It depends what you're watching on TV. Good. True. Like Schneider McGrath, something may eventually seep through. That's the thing, you know. Is that the point of Schneider Or is it No, but it, it, you're supposed to actually learn it and be familiar with the text and be able to... But Tehillim reading, you know, can be meaningful to some people for different reasons. I mean, I can't judge an individual. It's hard to judge the individual because you don't know what they're really thinking or how, how they're relating to it. Um, in, uh, you know, they may get some general idea of what they're saying or they may not, but it may be a sort of like uh, to them, they're acknowledging God in some kind of general way by saying these words and they don't yeah, know there's anything. Like, like, no, that, yes, of course, yeah, that's... No, that's no. It's the same. The same issue. The same issue obtains with. Uh, the same issue goes with uh, with with many things uh, where they get reduced to uh, they get reduced to magic. Like I was saying also this morning. Uh, uh, there's somebody sick in the house. It must be. We need to check the mizuzot. Really, you think that God will kill you because there's a letter broken in the mizuzah? That's, yeah, what does that say about what does it say about God? He cares about so much about the wrong letter that he's going to kill you. He really cares but about the quality of He cares about your mizuzot. No, he cares about the sofrim because you're going to have to go pay. <laughs> it's rachamav al kol maasav because you have to go pay the guy 20 bucks to check your... Uh, because Hashem saw that there was a... Hashem saw that there was an ani. It was an ani. So fair Ani passing through, and he knew that if you went to check your business, you would give him $20, and now he can get a meal. So that's the problem, Rabbi, is <laughs> the issue is, is that in the parade circles, leadership exists on all the time. Yeah, like, I know. I've so, again, this is real too, I see. The truth, if we really took it seriously, then you would see that it extends to everyone. And, that, and that's what I was going to say to John before he brought up the issue Rabbi John was mentioning about, uh, about uh, deep, that, that, you know, he was saying a very good point that, you know, a lot of teshuva should really be, this was before we started the class, but, or the discussion, but he was saying that a lot of teshuva should really be uh, deepening what we're already doing as opposed to adding... Right. Additional things, right? Adding, adding more things, and and uh, this is what the Rambam basically. I was going to say to him, this is what the Rambam actually says, because he says in the Marnebuchim also when he's talking, and he's talking to you know uh, his top student, and he says, oh, you know, and I've said this many times before. I've mentioned this a million times, but it's so important that you know, just just he says, just start paying attention to the words of the Amidah. 
and the words of the Kriyat Shema, don't only pay attention to the first Pasuk of the Shema and don't only pay attention to the first paragraph of the Amidah. Pay attention to the whole thing. And then pay attention to the Torah and the Haftarah and the Shul. He's like, do that for years and you'll start to, then you can move to the next thing. Right? So meaning even just to, even for his, his top student, he's saying this is the, you know, to don't try what the Rambam says in that, in that parak also and it's an important, important thing. Uh, and it's a theme in the Rambam's thought as opposed to some of the other Rishonim that he says, don't try to be Avraham Avinu. He's like, you're not going to be a person that every minute of the day, you're not. He says, it's better at the moments that you're actually engaged with Avodat Hashem, you do it 100%. Right? So that's why there's a very interesting machloket, sort of, between the Rambam and Ibn Ezra, actually, because Ibn Ezra says, a lot of people say you should wear a talit when you're praying, but it's opposite. You need to wear a talit when you're walking on the street. That's when you're going to have not in the middle of the tefillah. Nobody's doing in the middle of the tefillah. Right? Whereas the Rambam says opposite. He says, oh, the most important time to wear the talit and tefillin is when you're praying. Right? That's why he says it's very important that you know, the, the, the person should wear a talit and tefillin when they're praying. Why the difference? Because I think it's exactly this point. In other words, Rambam is saying that experience of the tefillah, maximize that experience. Put more into that experience. Don't try to make it that when you're walking down the street, all you're thinking about is the Ribbon Shaladam. Although sometimes it gets boring and you probably would be better off to, to do that. I'm not, maybe walking down the street is a bad example. When you're doing business, that you're really thinking about Abu Hashem the whole time, right? If, don't, don't be like that. Instead, when you're saying a bracha, how about you? You have a million opportunities during the day to have a quality avodat Hashem that you're missing. But instead of making that better, you decide to add more chumot. Why? Why not just when you say a blessing on the food, actually say the word slowly and you're thinking. Do you ever notice that? I'll, I'll give you another. I mentioned the thing about mamlichin et shema elamelech gadol that nobody notices that extra word in there, right? Do you ever notice what every bracha does? Every bracha takes you from the specific to a general. So when you're looking at, let's say, uh, a cucumber, okay, you say, Baruch atah Hashem elokeinu melech haolam. Borei a cucumber. No, you don't say, Borei hamelafifon. You don't say that. What do you say? Borei puri ha'adama. So you're already looking at things from a more general perspective, right? Everything that you look at, in other words, you're only relating to that food in that moment as something that is going to satisfy your, in, your, your, your desire for food, right? That you satisfy your own desire. So what are you looking at? You're looking at as a creation of God. Blessed is Hashem who creates fruits of the, of the ground. And this is one of the fruits of the ground that I'm about to take and eat it, but I'm thinking about it in its general framework and in general, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on it as, as something more general than, than, than my immediate appetite and satisfaction of my uh, need for sustenance, Okay. So, same thing in Birkat Amazon. What do you say? You don't say, but really what you're saying in Birkat Amazon is, Blessed are you, Hashem. Hazan uh, Oti. That's it. That's, 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 you know, thank you for giving me food. Instead, you say, No. Hazan Otanu Vieta Olam Kulo Bituvo. Who cares about that? There's nothing to do with my pizza that I just ate. Hazan Ota Olam Kulo Bituvo Bechen It's my pizza, not the, the Olam is not going to take my pizza, hopefully. Right? And then in the end, Hazan et akol, not uh, thank you Hashem that you gave me food. Hazan et akol. So what happens? 
So again, my being sustained by God is, is I can reflect on my own state of satisfaction and realize that it's just an example of how God sustains all of his creatures. And suddenly my specific and very particular physical experience of being satiated is, a, is, a, is an opportunity for reflection, as I call a teachable moment, you know, opportunity for reflection on something much bigger. The wachat changes my interactions, let's say with food, before I eat, after I eat, into some opportunity for reflection, okay? So we miss all of these opportunities all the time because we just say the wachat, so what, why did Hashem give you that barakat to say? Right? Why, why did he tell us to do barakat Amazon? So that when we're satisfied and we're least likely to reflect on, on God, we use that satisfaction as an opportunity rather than allow it to be something that distracts us from, from God and, and, and makes us more self-indulgent. It goes against that and says, no, use it as an opportunity to reflect on something bigger than yourself. Even all the barakat are like that. Even the barakat on mitzvot. Did you ever notice? Again, Asher kidishanu, right? B'mitzvotav. V'tzivanu l'anich tefillin. Why not? Asher tzivanu l'anich tefillin. That's it. That's what it should say. Baruch atah Hashem, shetzivanu l'anich tefillin. That's all you need. You don't need asher kidishanu b'mitzvotav. Why do you need all the extra verbiage in there? It's very roundabout. Just to get to the point. Blessed are you Hashem, who told me to put on tefillin. Why Because it's saying, recognize this particular mitzvah I'm doing is part of a whole system of mitzvot that are meant to sanctify me. All right? Hashem is sanctifying me with, my, with the mitzvot, leading me to live a, a life of transcendent meaning and purpose. And this particular action I'm doing is connected to that general mission and purpose of all the mitzvot. So I'm putting the particular... In the cat, you know, into its general context. I'm thinking more abstractly instead of more in a more limited way, more more broadly about things. So just imagine if a person just thought about those bachot that they're saying, and how much it would change their their attitude and their perspective if they reflected all the time every time they said a bacha, instead of. Uh, you know, looking for extraordinary opportunities to uh, uh, to think about God, or trying yeah, to go beyond. The thing is people, people are looking for meaning, right? Like someone will will spend forty days saying the Shema, right? Because they're they're looking for for meaning. That's a shallow. But it, but it's like what, I, I what is that supposed to do for you again? Whatever you, you whatever you want, whatever you want to twist Hashem's arm to do for you. Oh, he doesn't have arms. Cool. <laughs> that was the only objection I had. <laughs> He's the one on the phone. He has one. Back to wait, but the Elio Novi thing that that's what it says about um, what's his name? Uh, didn't it say Bilam had only one eye? Was it Shetumai? Numa gave us Shetumai. He had only one eye. Not that. What were you saying, Mr. Chizen? No, there's Moshe asked about the Leonavi. Oh, we're going to Leonavi. I have a very tough time explaining it. There's a lot of... The CPR? Forget that. Oh, Fire there's, coming there's down from the sky. Yeah, killing people that he needs, he needs killed. Yeah, we looked at them or something and they... And All the guards who come to... Oh, yeah, the armies, the generals come to tell him... And the fire comes. 
he kills two group of 50 of them, and then the third group says, oh, don't kill us, and it doesn't kill us. Everything sounds so fantastic. What about the bear uh, with the children? The bear, the bear, the bear. Why is it so grossly fantastic? And we're supposed to look up to this? Well, God criticizes him. Well, Eliyahu gets criticized. God doesn't criticize Elisha, and he does all the miracles that Eliyahu does. Right. Most of his miracles are nice. Or Elisha is nicer than uh, than Elisha. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have a smile on his face. Yeah, but the kids was Elisha, no? Yeah. Yeah, but most of his miracles are like helping Actually, people and saving stuff. Yeah, understand they're usually Chesed miracles. My question is, how can you how can you look at it look at it in a, in a rationalistic way? Like, doesn't seem. Well, like who's compelling you to do that? Compelling You're compelling yourself to do it. Yeah. So maybe just give that up. <laughs> I don't know that there's a rationalistic way to understand it. You're talking about in a time where uh, miracles are... Where Yediyat Hashem is extremely uh, limited and you have individuals who are competing with an established Avodazara culture... And, you know, and, and attempting to use extraordinary means at their disposal to fight back against it and to highlight the reality of God in a, in a, just like the same way that Moshe Rabbeinu enters into Mitzrayim and he uses miracles because that's the language that's necessary to convey the message under those circumstances. But uh, later on, but, you know, later on, like any other miracles are limited to what was necessary. Like the Rambam says, Moshe Rabbeinu only did miracles that were necessary for the Jewish people's either spiritual or physical growth. Other than that, there are no miracles. In, in Tanakh, miracles are usually limited to where there's an extreme necessity. Like if you think about, did Shmuel Navi really do, he, he orchestrated a huge renaissance to, in, in Yediyat Hashem. And... Yeah, they won battles. He brought rain during a time. But really nothing extraordinary that I could think of, right? Yeah. Right, and uh, so why? Because it wasn't necessary. Like if there was anybody that you would expect to be capable of doing like really stupendous miracles, it would be Shmuel because he's like uh, one of the greatest Nevi'im in history, closer to the level of, you know, Aaron, you know. Moshe Aaron Bechona was Shmuel It's very high up. Yeah, and he doesn't that, because it I wasn't necessary. Like, First for, Talmidim. For individuals, some, right. some, some for ladies that uh, needed food, some for right. like, it was for individuals also. How right, so in order that? to understand them in the context, each one, you have to try to see, we would have to go through them, you know, more systematically and, and review, you know, what was the purpose of it in this context and what's the broader, meaning each one of those incidents, because there's like a whole series of them, there, you know. They, each one of those incidents in the broader picture of the mission of Elisha, what was it functioning? Why is it even significant that the Navi mentioning these, uh, oh, the guy dropped, uh, they put poison in the pot. Oh, yeah. It's like, why, why is that so important for me to know that? So, um, uh, or he dropped the borrowed item into the water or whatever. You know, all of these things. So we have to understand why was that significant? What was the, what, because it can't just be like some incident about some individual that has to have a, uh, a, a, a greater uh, purpose within the narrative as a whole. 
So when you're studying the narrative as a whole to understand that, then the miracle comes in one way or another to... So I'm not understanding the narrative well enough to understand... Why, we're, why yeah, we have to look that. more carefully what was... I think one of the things that, again, just like I with mitzvot... Right, right, yeah. Just like with mitzvot, we oftentimes forget, and that's why the brachot the say, Asher kiddishanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu to do this. Meaning, remember, there's a purpose to mitzvot. It's to attain kiddushah. It has a, it has a reason, right? So I'm doing it in te- with intention and focus. And like I mentioned this morning, the beautiful pasuk that, uh, or about nidarim and shvuot that I mentioned about uh, what, a sh- what shvuot are, you know, that it's, it's, real, it's connecting an activity to... To the Shem Hashem. So like David Abel says, Nishbati Why do you have an idea of Nidrei Uzin that you could, do a, you could swear to do a mitzvah? Because the idea is you're explicitly identifying that this mitzvah is bringing you closer to Hashem. There's an explicit recognition of that. You know, so when you have, uh, you have to look at things in terms of the big picture in mitzvot and in, in stories also. We tend to lose, like, we get so involved in the story. You forget, wait a second. This is a story that is supposed to be teaching me some, some lessons in Yediyat Hashem Lidorot. So what is the lesson actually in the, in the narrative? Like, it's really interesting to try to figure out, like, what was the psychology or what was the personality of Eliyahu, the personality of Elisha and all that. But in the bigger picture, what is the purpose of Sefer Melachim? Right? And what, what's the prophetic goal of Yirmiyahu in writing Sefer Melachim uh, and therefore including these specific uh, uh, ideas? Cause then, and, and how does it all fit together? Just like I was mentioning before about, let's say, Rut. Like most people miss out that there's this subtext of that's a signal of something. And then what happens in the end? You have a leader who, on the contrary, uh, is emphasizing Yediyat Hashem and is marrying Ruth and is trying to like establish justice and chesed and all the things that the leaders in the beginning are failing in, right? Like that's the, that's the, that's how you're supposed to read, the supposed to read like the whole story. And then, oh, and David Melech came out of this because he's the person who's, go, who's the king that's yeah. going to do that. Right, who's going to institute that as a, a, you know, establish that as an institution as opposed to just being an individual leader of Boaz who does it, you know? So when you read that, so now you take an individual episode or uh, detail of the book and you put it in context of the message of the book as a whole, you know? That's the, you know, that's the... uh, the, Yeah, so when, as you, you have to sort of maybe zoom out from the story to get a sense of what what's going on in these episodes with Elisha, and then when you zoom back in, it will make more sense. But there has to be some purpose served by the miracle that is necessary either for the f- physical or intellectual yeah, development but, of the. But, so then, the, the person reading it, the average person reading it, is going to see it as fantastical. It is fantastical. Yeah. But it's still a miracle. It's pretty fantastical, all the things that Moshe Rabbeinu did too. Well, I think maybe the question will be what is didactic and what is literal and what is right. like, Because the story of Shimshon, there's, I'm troubled by a lot of that stuff too because like, he, his power is in his hair and in his drinking grapes, but nothing wrong with being like a Philistine woman. That well, there was something wrong. Right, but it didn't directly cause him to... Well, well it, it did it actually. Did eventually, yeah. It, in right. fact, they say that he lost his eyes. Why? Because he went after his eyes. That's right. a chazasa, you know. No, the, that is the failure. Shimshon is like the bottom of the barrel of Shoftim, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right, he's the worst of them. He's, he's just, a, he's just a, 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 a strong arm guy. He's not really a... He doesn't even, 
He has right. He has no students. He has no follower following. He has no. He's not really a leader. He's a vigilante guy who's out there terrorizing the state. No. So, but but I'll but tell you. Let me accept. He's just a shofet. A shofet just means the, the person who was right. the representative of God, and, you know, for the people at the time. Right? How low of a level they've gotten to that that's the shofet. Yeah. Even look. Even Yiftach was already. Uh, whenever whenever Chazal uses an example of a a not very impressive shofet, they always say Yiftach bidoro kishmoel bidoro, meaning you have to respect Yiftach as well. But they're saying Yiftach wasn't good. That's why they're using it. They don't say Shimon. They don't say Shimshon because nobody respected Shimshon, so it wouldn't work. <laughs> but Yiftach at least was a leader, right? But Shimshon, what's the idea of the the whole purpose of the see? Because Shimshon. What? Oh, they do. One of the reasons why I was uh, why um, with with Shimshon, right? In in uh, he had to have the rule of being a nazir in order to keep him on the proper path, because basically to give a person like the level of testosterone that Shimshon would have had to be like that burly of a guy, he would have been like uncontrollable. Instinctually, so he had to have these limitations on his behavior of wine and so cutting hair. To, on, on it's to control him. It's oh, to control wow. him. It's to control him and and keep him balanced. But it's basically saying that this is not the ideal. Like, no, of course not. But it, it was to control his excess in the area of the physical because he was ex- He had excess in the area of the physical. So just like a nazir is in order to correct for excesses in the area of the physicality, so he had to have that in order to keep himself aware of his divine purpose. Even with the you know even with the pressures of the instinct. So what's what's the idea of the cutting of the hair that he loses his power? So I had an explanation of this that I thought was like a little bit radical, and then I found out that the Abarbanel says it. So I guess I'm allowed to say right. It wasn't. I my my idea was that it wasn't that the it wasn't that the cutting of the hair. It was the fact that he allowed her to cut his hair. In other words, at the moment that he basically revealed his secret to her. He said that my passion for this woman is more significant than my service to the Jewish people and my service to God. Because he, by revealing, he knew he was good. He wasn't that, he was not necessarily the brightest guy, but wasn't that stupid. He obviously saw that whatever he was telling her, she was doing. Right? So he knew. So the Chazal actually say that what was it that pressured him so much that she refused to be intimate with him for a long time? And really held it over his head and he couldn't take it anymore. So then he finally told her, but what does that show you? It shows you that he sacrificed basically his status and it, as, a, as an Ebed Hashem and as a, as a servant of the people for the sake of his physical desires. That was what caused him to lose his power. The cutting of the hair was just a, is just the external manifestation. But it was actually the fact that he, sac- it would be like somebody who compromises national security for the sake of a love affair. So, right? Basically. He thought that the hair was something that was giving him... Cause no, he knew that it was his status as a Nazir that gave it to him. That's just representative of his status as a Nazir, but the fact that he told her that and therefore allowed her, basically, to... You know, in every description, he gets closer and closer to the real, to the real thing. And then finally he tells her, because he was... But once he does that, it shows you that he's abdicating his... He's abdicating his, his role, his divinely uh, uh, established role. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he, so he's sorry. he so by and that it's the abdication that causes him to lose the strength, not the uh, not the hair per se. And then therefore, when he's imprisoned by the police team and he starts to he commits himself again to being in a zero, that's when he starts to come back. But but that's how, how does that actually give him physical? 
strength. No, because it was a it was a nets. Oh. That was that was miraculous, right. obviously. So he the, the level of his physical strength, even right. for somebody who's a who's a Andre the Giant, that was not going to be able to tear people apart, you know, the way that uh, Shimshon did. So obviously there was a there was a divine element of help that was involved. So in the uh, but that was lost once he was no longer connected to that. To, to that purpose. So the point is it wasn't the hair, it was his connection to his purpose that he sacrificed it by revealing it to her because he wanted the sexual uh, gratification, which is the lowest thing, you know, the lowest thing to, to, to give that up. And, uh, and basically that, that, that's the way the Abarbanel also explains it. He, and I think it, it makes so much sense. And then, but so you have to see that, yeah, there was definitely divine intervention, meaning a Shimshon wouldn't be able to succeed without some kind of divine intervention. Even for what he did, which was very minimal. Yeah. And it says he killed more police team when he died than when he was alive. From knocking down the, the temple of Dagon. But the idea is that he, which is sort of, again, I mean, I'm not sure to what extent it's intended this way, but it's kind of like an, a sort of a critique of him. Meaning like he was better dead than alive. Like what he actually did wow. during his life wasn't really as impressive. It was, a, yeah, it's almost like, you know... Uh, his purpose was just to try to limit the damage inflicted by the, meaning, meaning at a certain point the Shoftim are there to restore the Jewish people's relationship with God and, and therefore for them to have the zechut to fight their enemies as Shimshon is basically like the Jews are not going to be there, but they're not going to get to the level where they're worthy of anything. But, but Hashem is basically, it, it's sort of, he's holding, right, he's holding back the enemy so that they don't inflict as much damage so the Jewish people will hopefully be able to con- survive, you know, and eventually get to a better place, but not instrumental in any way in getting to that place, obviously, because he himself is totally, I want to say totally, but is assimilated to a certain extent and is definitely not an, a spiritual uh, uh, leader or, or someone to emulate. So he's not contributing positively, and he doesn't even have any followers that want to hand them over to the police chief. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a story of just basically God utilizing him to hold back the police team and, and terrorize them so that they won't inflict as much damage as they otherwise would have uh, on, on the Jewish people. Oh, that's that's sad, but... Well, in my area, I live like in near where Shimshon, you know, and Gat. That's where. That's it. So, like, there's a lot of things named after him. Like, there's a junk, uh, Shimshon Junction, and yeah, and then and we have like there's a there's actually a uh, there's a um, in Ashdod a museum of like Plishti artifacts from I suppose like yeah yeah because Ashdod is like also in that in that area by the Plishti yeah, one yeah they're all around this this area. So, do people there chew gut? You know the gut thing. No, there's a leaf. Oh, the really? Gut, and they chew it. Uh, Afghanis do it. Oh, really? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because it's uh, for uh, men to be excited. Oh, is it really? Oh, it's a uh, aphrodisiac something. Oh, I never heard of that. Interesting. I'm not sure. I haven't decided. We'll see. It's like it's Arab Rosh Hashanah. I forgot. So we have to. Yeah, we have Hatarat Nidareem.